Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, open them to the Gospel of Matthew. If you're new to the Bible, go about three quarters of the way and open up and you'll find your way to the beginning of the New Testament. There's been a huge passages of Scripture that we call the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament. And they conclude pointing us to this one who has been promised from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, who will crush the head of the serpent and yet be wounded by it. Uh, the Messiah that is coming through the, through the prophets and through the kings. And, and the whole Hebrew Scriptures wrap up and this person never shows up. And yet we get to Matthew, the most Jewish of the Gospels. And he begins anew the story and continues from the line of the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. So we want you to turn there however you get your Bible, whether it's on, a, on an iPad or a phone or whether it's in book form. If you need one, there's one in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't have one at home, we want you to take that as our gift. Uh, no one will stop you. Take it. We can resupply the pews. We want you to have a Bible. And so take that home with you as your gift. But we're going to read today from Matthew chapter 1 right at the beginning. We're going to start at verse 18 because our, our uh, series this, uh, this uh, holiday season is about the angel passages where the angels came and last week we saw that they proclaimed to Zechariah this week to Joseph next week pastor Kyle will preach and he'll talk about the angel coming to Mary and then we'll wrap up on the 22nd with the angels to the shepherds and so we invite you now out of reverence for the gospel to stand and let's hear the gospel that's the word that means good news Let's hear the good news according to Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name, what? Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, given to the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is my son minutes after he was born. And and it was just one of the greatest experiences to be able to hold him. He was delivered through emergency C-section. So I got to hold him for about 20 minutes while they were finishing up the surgery for Lori. And I want you to know that this kid was born with his eyes wide open. 
And he just took in everything. I mean, learning to parent Jackson, we learned some, some great things about him. He was observant. Even to this day, he's still observant. If you want to get Jackson's attention, try and show him how something works. And he will just focus and he will look and he will love to see all the ins and outs of this. He was born with wonderful feet and uh, just always, always, always looking around. We learned some things about him. But there's this strange thing about parenting. We also learn some things about us, don't we? Some of those things are wonderful. They're really good. We learn that he loves the farm. You saw that picture with he and Lori out on the farm. He loves to be there and wander around and explore and see all those things. He loves to play guitar. And, and, and I, I got to learn that I like playing guitar with him. And, and he's fun to be with. He brings out the goofy side of Lori. I know that's hard to imagine. And yet it also brings up some things that are hard lessons for us to learn, isn't it? Our kids do that. We find that, man, I'm not as patient as I thought I was. I, I get really easily offended when in the morning it doesn't go just exactly as I planned. We learn that there's something about us that still has work through parenting, doesn't it? Well, when we turn to the Gospel of Matthew and we get right into chapter 1, Matthew wants us to know something about Jesus. He's going to do this in a very poetic way, which we'll see, but he's going to make some pretty bold claims about who this Jesus is. But in telling us about who Jesus is, just like in parenting, he is also going to share some things about who we are. It's going to expose some things in us, the reader. And so as we look to this passage, we need to know a few things about Matthew's gospel. The first is, I've already told you, it's the most Jewish of gospels. Matthew was probably writing to a Jewish audience who had been Hellenized. That means they were Greek speakers, and, but they still looked at the traditions. They had been raised in the Hebrew, the Jewish religion. They had all these things. So Matthew quotes from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, more than any of the other Gospel writers. He's always tying us back into themes. One of those themes is, is that Jesus is a new and better Moses. And so Jesus has five teachings in Matthew, just like in the Old Testament, Moses had five books that he read, that those first five, or wrote those first five books. He is very subtle and very poetic because he wants to engage and entice the reader, these Jewish Hellenized Jewish readers, he wants to entice them back into the story that they were still longing to see a completion. And sometimes it's hard for us to catch this in our English translations. So I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 1. It begins in English with the phrase, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, I've put it directly in Greek. It's okay. You you can say it looks like Greek to me because it is. And, and the way you would say this is, to de Jesu Christu, he genesis, hutos hein. Okay? The word that I have underlined there is the word genesis. What does that sound like? Genesis. He's not just saying, I want to tell you about the birth of some kid. I want to show you the genesis. I, that, should, that would clue in those Greek-speaking uh, Jews. Oh, He's getting back into our story. 
this, this is connecting some way that this is not just a birth. This is a genesis. I need to have my ears and eyes open. I need to think about that story way back in Genesis 1 as Matthew begins to tell us what he says is good news for us. And so we need to see again. Then in Genesis 1, if you'll remember, in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the face of the waters. Very uninhabitable place. Life could not begin there, but then the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and creation began. This is the story that Matthew would want us to have in our mind as he begins to say, and Mary who was a virgin. The Holy Spirit came upon her and life began to be created out of that moment because of the Holy Spirit. The problem is, is this says something about us is we always focus on the wrong thing. We focus about sex and it's not about sex. Now, does the Bible tell us that Mary was a virgin? Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. And I believe that. But what Matthew wants to point us about, point us to, is once again, it is about the Spirit bringing life where there shouldn't be life because she has not been sexually active. Do you see how this, this forms together? Don't let, don't get distracted by all of that other stuff. What you need to focus on, what Matthew is calling you as a good Jewish Greek speaking reader, is to go back into the narrative. God is doing something creative here through His Spirit once again. And He is hovering over the place where life shouldn't be, where life cannot be, and is bringing life from that place. That is good news for us. He wants us to focus on God continuing the redemptive work through the creative work of the Holy Spirit. This is where Matthew wants us to begin right at the beginning. So now we need to understand a little bit of context, historical context of marriage in those days. Because it it can be a little strange for you and I in our 21st century understanding of marriage and engagement. So let me take you through this for just a second. Uh, I know this makes us uncomfortable because this is not our way. But in the ancient of days, when villages were small, families grouped together, and there was a lot of space, dangerous space in between, there weren't police officers, and there weren't good roads and all those things, you kind of tended to stick right where you were. In Nazareth, when they uncovered the the ruins of Nazareth, it was probably a small place, maybe no more than 500 people. And so families would tend to arrange those marriages, sometimes from birth. Hey, I just had a baby girl. You had a baby boy. Hey, what do you think we can do a deal here? (laughs) I know this isn't romantic, (laughs) but this is how it worked. And uh, at the beginning, you would come to the Erusin. You can say that if you want to. Ready? One, two, three. Erusin. And that was the betrothal when the arrangement would take place. And when that Erusin took place, it was legally binding. In fact, the only way that that woman could marry another man was through divorce. That's different than our engagement, right? Our engagement is, here's your ring back. When we, when we break off an engagement, theirs, it was much more committal. There was a covenant that was there 
right from the beginning. And to break that would mean, because what was happening all during that year or so after the betrothal, after the erusin, there would be a lot of preparation going on in the husband-to-be's home. They would be creating space. They would be making it ready for the marriage bed. They would be making that space ready while the bride-to-be stayed in her father's home and continued to go about her business. And then when the marriage happened, I put it down as a marriage parade because that's what would take place. The bride would be ready and adorned and decked out and they would get the village streets all ready and there would be a great celebration as the father would lead his daughter to her new home with her husband. And there would be great celebrating and lots of meals and lots of food. And sometimes these would last for weeks. But the end result was there would be the parade. And now, now, this daughter would go and become the wife in her new home with her new family. And this would take place. You see how public this is. It wasn't just my family and friends gathering together in a sanctuary, saying a few words and throwing rice and going out the door. This was incorporated all of the village, all the people you knew. So how devastating must it have been for a young girl to have to go and say, to her husband who's been preparing and there's about to be a parade and all of these things, I'm pregnant. And it doesn't get any easier in 21st century language as it was back then, I'm sure. You know, Joseph probably said something like we would all say. How'd that happen? And her response probably didn't sound like the one he wanted to hear. Like it would be today. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit. And your laughter tells me you know. (laughs) Because in your mind you're thinking, right. Who is he really? But we see something different about this man, Joseph. Joseph says, because Joseph was her husband, this is Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet, underline and yet, and yet, did not want to expose her to public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly. According to the law, he could actually take her to her father's home and put her there, and the men of, this is very brutal, this is ancient days, the men of the village could come around and stone her to death in front of her father's house for being found pregnant. That's faithful to the law. And yet Joseph, Joseph is faithful to the law, the scriptures tell us, but he is merciful for others. And he won't let, it won't, that mercy won't let him bring harm to Mary. I'm sure that Joseph was devastated as any engaged man would be if he found that his fiance was pregnant and it wasn't his. The anger, the frustration, the betrayal that must have been there. And yet he was faithful but merciful. I can't help. This this is kind of maybe a rabbit trail for me, but I, I just I couldn't help but think God must have known. Like this is the kind of earthly man I want my son to be raised by. Because we see this in Jesus, don't we? Jesus was faithful to the law over and over and over again, but he was constantly merciful and gracious. He 
you remember the, the woman who was found in adultery? And they brought her there, and, and the faithfulness to the law was stone her. But his mercy that he knew from the Father above, and I believe witnessed in the Father on earth, said, we'll not bring harm to her. Let anyone who is without sin cast that first stone. And the only one who could, Jesus, refuses to do so. That's grace. That's mercy. I think that's a beautiful example of faithfulness to what God calls us to being driven just like Jesus and just like God by mercy and grace. So he's scared. He's nervous. We find that out. But an angel comes to him in a dream. We'll again bring those Jewish uh, readers back into some of the stories like Jacob where the angels appear in a dream and, and share with him. So here is Joseph in that same line continuing that. And the angel says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be what? Afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You've had lots of doubts. You've had a lot of things going on. A lot of anger. A lot of frustration. You've continued to be merciful. I'm here to tell you, don't be afraid. This is of God. He goes on and tells her, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel says, do not be afraid. This is very, we shouldn't be too uh, worried about Joseph, just like last week with Zechariah. We should get into his shoes maybe a little uncomfortably. Because whenever God operates outside of our norms, we have to be reminded not to be afraid. You think, oh, that wouldn't be me. Oh, I've got two words for you. Worship wars. Some of you may not have been around the church during the 80s, but we slowly uh, transitioned. God began to move us away from uh, books and music in the books to music on screens. And and instead of just piano and organ and a choir, uh, we began to incorporate guitars and drums and, and all these things. God actually began to use what sounded like rock and or roll music. And people were responding. But we were afraid, weren't we? We were like Joseph. I don't know about that. Sometimes we were merciful like he was. And other times, we were downright mean. So let us hear that when God does something outside of our norms, we have to be reminded. I need that reminder. You need that reminder. Don't be afraid. Let's see where God is moving us in this time. He then goes on and tells him that he should name this child Jesus. Let's look at that name just a little bit. You knew I was going to give you a Hebrew lesson, didn't you? Jesus, uh, the Hebrew name, the long name of the, the name of Jesus in Hebrew is the word Yehoshua. Say Yehoshua. It's a, translated today would be Joshua. Yehoshua, but it gets shortened down to Yeshua, because if you say Yehoshua a lot, if you're a mom, it, it just gets, it gets tiring for a while. I mean, in fact, just, just try it right now. Ready? Uh, on the count of three, we're going to say Yehoshua five times as fast as you can. Ready? One, two, three. Yehoshua, 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 Yehoshua. See, you already want to shorten it, don't you? 
And it just comes down to Yeshua. And then in our Latin-speaking languages that, that we move from Hebrew and Greek into Latin as, as that began to take over and be the predominant language in the world, it became Jesus. And many of our Spanish and Portuguese and some of those uh, Romance languages, it's still Jesus. And then when we got to English, it became Jesus. And that's good. That's Okay. But the more important thing behind that is to realize that the name Jesus, Yehoshua, Yeshua, it means Yahweh saves. Now, it, we see this right in, in the angel's speak. He says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Yeshua, Yehoshua, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this leads us into Yahweh who saves. Now, who will save? <laughs> Yahweh saves. Are you sure? Is it Yahweh who will save? Or is it this one who is called Yahweh saves who will save? Is it Yahweh who will save or Yahweh saves who will save? You with me? This is the beautiful poetry of Matthew. He's saying, who is going to save? Who is going to save? Yahweh saves? Or is this one who is called Yahweh saves, will he save? And the answer is yes. This is the beautiful poetic claim of Matthew who wants you to know that this Yeshua is Yahweh in flesh and he, they, will save. It is subtle and it is poetic because you can't come at a Jewish person and start with Jesus is Yahweh. You bash them over the head with that, and they're going to close down. Something we as Christians might still like to learn from this Gospel of Matthew. That we can be creative and poetic as we begin to introduce, maybe first through our lifestyle and our words, before we begin to talk about this Yeshua who is Yahweh, who saves us. It's subtle, it's beautiful, it's poetry. So this is what it says about us, though. That's what it says about Jesus. What does it say about us? Well, it's pretty simple, isn't it? It says to us that we need to be saved. That you and I have a need. We have to be saved. She, the angel continues. He said, uh, he will not just save, but he will save his people from their what? From their sins. Yes. His people were meant to be the Jewish people. And if you want to, I, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping, you can read the genealogy from Matthew 1, 1 through 17. And it will take you through the list of all of Jesus' family all the way through. And if you're a good Hebrew scholar or you were someone who was steeped in Judaism, you would know that each and every one of those people failed. They didn't keep the covenant. They, they broke the covenant. There were things that happened. And, and Matthew just includes all the good, the bad, and the ugly in that. But he wants to show that here is Jesus who is coming, who is Yahweh, who will save from sin. And he comes from a long line of people who will just prove the point that you and I need to be saved. And the goal of the Jewish folk was always for the rest of the world. So if you're worried, oh, well, I don't have to be saved because I'm not one of his folk. <laughs> no, it's for us too. Because of what Jesus did, we get in on this. So what is sin? 
You've heard me say this before. The Greek word for sin is the word hamartia. Let's say that together real fast. Ready? One, two, three. Hamartia. It means to miss the mark. I was shooting at a target. It's an archery thing. And I shot and I missed. So in some ways it is a failure to meet the goal. It's what I was aiming for. I missed. And if you're an archer and you miss your target, that can get really dangerous, can't it? I had a friend lose a dog because he harmartied. Compound bow, missed the target, dog was there. It can be dangerous when we fail to meet the goal. What is the goal? The goal is to be the image of God. Remember, we're back in Genesis again. The goal is to be who we were created to be, the image of God, which means we are to reflect God's love. And we reflect God's love as we care for the earth and its creatures, especially for the other images of God. That's, that's code for human beings, the people around you. Look at that. Look at the person on your right and say, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to show you God's love. Go. Now look at the person on your left. Say, I'm supposed to show you God's love. All right. If you're on the edge, I'm sorry. You only got one person. The other part of the goal is to trust God to determine what is right and wrong. And we know back in Genesis that Adam and Eve looked at the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said, I'm not going to trust God to determine right and wrong. I'm going to take it for myself. And they get right and wrong incorrect from the beginning. And we keep and continue that same pattern in our lives today. You don't have to watch the news. Whatever news you watch, I don't care. You watch it long enough, you'll know that we still try and determine what is right and wrong for ourselves today. And we get it incorrect 100% of the time. We need to be saved. The other part is that we're usually more comfortable with their sins (laughs) than we are with our sins. Can I get an amen? It's true, isn't it? It's just so much easier to point out them and, oh, look what they're doing. That's terrible and that's wrong and that's evil and that's sinful. And then the mirror goes up and we're like, oh, look at me. I'm looking pretty good. I wore a tie today. Crickets. But the truth is... We try and dress it up and we try and throw our solutions at it. Here are a few in the 60s. Some of you were around then. Just give peace a chance, right? That's how we're going to make the world better. Just give peace a chance. 70s, if you're around there, we're just going to make love, not war. You know, it's, it's going to, if we would just all make love, it would just be great. Just get more love into the world and everything would be wonderful. In the 80s, this is my era now I'm coming in, don't worry. Be happy. You're singing it, I know. As if just, no, I'm just not going to worry anymore. I'm just going to be happy. What happened in the 80s led to a lot of substance abuse. So we could be happy and not worry, right? 90, how many of you remember the 90s? Random acts of kindness. Just go out. Just be kind to everybody. Random. Do it randomly. No problem. 2000s, it was just do good. The one, the most recent one, is now what? Be kind to each other, right? If you'll just be kind, we'll just see the world change. Now, is there anything wrong with being kind to other people? No, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. (laughs) But to just simply tell people to be kind really begins 
to be short-sighted when we really know we need to be saved, when we get right and wrong incorrect over and over again. The truth is we're very selective with who we're kind to. When somebody's kind to us, we tend to be kind back to them. And when they're not kind to us, we tend to have a different reaction than just be kind to each other, right? We oftentimes are exclusive on who we want to extend kindness to, and we can often be very short-sighted about how broken our world can be due to sin. I love what Dr. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project says uh, about this. He says, telling someone to just be kind without dealing with the brokenness and sin in human beings is like giving vitamin C to someone with a broken leg. Vitamin C is not going to hurt them, right? It's good. But is it going to heal their broken leg? No. We need saving. We need healing. We need cleansing. And the good news that Matthew wants to tell you is that Jesus, whose name means what? Yahweh saves. I heard it. He came to save you from your sins. Yahweh saves can save you from your sins. The one who is called Yahweh saves, he is the one that can do it. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it just by being kind. It is he and he alone who can save you from your sins. And the good news is he can. The good news is that because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit that hovered over the dark places, the dark waters, way back and began to create the same Holy Spirit that hovered over a place on on Mary's body in her womb where there shouldn't be life because the things that need to happen for life to take place there had not happened, and yet there was life that was there. That same Holy Spirit from the Creator, from all of creation, can speak into your darkness and say, Light be. That's same Holy Spirit who can look at the chaos of the waters all around you and the storms in your life can say silent, be still, and create a solid place for you to stand. That same Holy Spirit can then bring in that life that has given you more life and more life and more life and more life. We call it eternal life. It is salvation. It is what human beings need in order to make the goal. And this is not just, this is, this is something then that the question that we wrestle with in this season is, will you ask him to do this? Will you let Yeshua, Yahweh saves, save you where you are in your place of need? It's not just saving that he does. The rest of the passage tells us, and we're going to go through this pretty quickly, is that the virgin will conceive. He says this is from the prophets. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with with us. It means God with us. So it's not like I'm in the chaotic waters and I need saving, and all of a sudden out of some place in heaven comes a divine floaty ring that I can just hold on to and I'm still in my chaos. No, this one who is being born is Yahweh saves, who can save you from your sins and will be with you and in you 
to live the life that He has called you to live. That you can meet the goal. You can live as an image of God who cares for others, cares for the earth, cares for the creatures, cares for the other images of God. And yes, you'll be kind to them and you'll do good, not because you're so awesome, but because it is God with you, helping you to see the needs and the places where you are called to be kind and empowering you to be kind and good and to love. But before that can happen, we need to be saved. This is what Matthew calls us to. So, do you need someone to always be with you? Do you need a Savior? If you do, good news. He is coming. This is what we celebrate in Advent. And of course, He is here. But we're sticking with the spirit of Advent. Your longing can be fulfilled. And it can be fulfilled today but only through Yahweh, who is Yahweh saves. He's come to save you from your sins. He's come to be with you to the ends of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this good news that tells us a lot about you, Yeshua, Jesus, but also tells us a lot about us, and our need. So we're thankful that those two things go hand in hand. Those are the two things that have been on God's heart from the very beginning. Knowing that our sin, our missing the goal and the mark, has created a lot of damage and a lot of damaging systems. So much so that we can't get out of it just by being good or kind. And we need rescue. We need saving. We need cleansing. We need healing. So today we pray to the one whose name means Yahweh saves. We ask that you would come and save us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Yeah, we need Yahweh saves to come save us. But there are some of us here in this room right now who know the chaos of our lives, the chaos that sin has created, the brokenness of relationships that sin has created by missing the mark and the goal. And we know we need saving. And so today, if that's you, you are confronted, you are aware, you know, my sin breaks everything. And my life seems out of control right now. And I need Yahweh to save me. I need Yahweh saves to come and rescue me and be with me. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. But if you need saving from sin today, would you raise your hand? Right where you are. Right where you are. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anyone else? not going to have you come forward, not going to ask for anything. I just want to be able to pray for you. Raise your hand right now. I need Yahweh saves. I need Jesus. Raise your hand. You can put your hands down. Father, you saw those five or six who right now are confessing their need for you. I pray that you would help them as I lead them through this prayer, that they would say, Jesus... I need you to save 
me from my sin. I surrender to you. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Send me on the right path, which means I have to turn around. And may I know that you are Emmanuel. You are with me wherever I go. Father, bless those who prayed that right now in your name. I pray that they would know that right now they are rescued. They are saved. That you are with them and you will help them over the next days and weeks and months and years to begin to see what true life is all about. Thank you. We praise you and we bless you. And we are so grateful that you are the God who saves. For it is in the name of the Father who is for us, the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Spirit who is in us that I pray all of these things. And all God's people said,